snowy times at Penn State. Uh, I want to first off apologize for the lateness of this podcast. The last two days, schools have been off, kids have been home, crazy things have happened, and we're finally getting to you late on a Friday. Apologize for that. Probably our numbers are going to be down. Uh, I I don't know what to tell you. But anyway, Penn State heading to Rutgers, um, and I'm going to be flying solo. Quite frankly, Tyler's Rutgers bias was too much for me to handle this episode. I could not take him playing the Rutgers fight song in the background of all his answers, so I told him, Vamoose, get out of here. Go do your thing. Um, and if you take that seriously, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, he's on his way with his wife to uh, New Jersey for the week, for the game, for the holiday. We just wanted to get him out of here safely. Uh, hopefully everyone listening stayed safe for the last couple of days. Nasty storm coming through. Got about uh, 11 or 12 inches here in State College, um, and it was uh, it was pretty testy. Anyway, Penn State heading to Piscataway on Saturday to check things out, to, to play a 1-9 Rutgers team that's not very good. Not going to spend a ton of time talking about that game. Got Brian Doan for about 27 minutes to talk Penn State recruiting. That's probably the most interesting part of this um, uh, of this episode. But first off, got Penn State winning big. Tyler's got Penn State winning big. Mark Brennan has Penn State winning big. Penn State has an opportunity if they come out on uh, you know sort of hitting on all cylinders. It, it, it's very, going to be very similar to the start of the season where they were able to put up points. Rutgers not good. Not going to sugarcoat it. One and nine. For a reason, um, they can't move the football. They can't stop the football. Played halfway decent against Northwestern. Uh, you know, sort of held their own against Wisconsin. But those teams not really built to, to to blow anyone out. Of course, Michigan had their way with with Rutgers last week. And you know, if you you look at this game as a whole, and and Penn State needs to set the tempo early. We've seen it. Uh, we've seen them have trouble with that the last couple of times they've they've been in Piscataway. Um, but run the football with Miles Sanders is going to be the, uh, the the number one thing. He's coming off of a 159-yard, one-touchdown game against Wisconsin last week, and really, this is this is time for the offensive line to step up and manhandle. I mean, you, you've got Wisconsin. Excuse me, you got that win against Wisconsin in, under your belt against a solid team. I know they're banged up. I know they had a lot of guys hurt, uh, you know, during the game on Saturday as well. But still, a win over Wisconsin is a win over Wisconsin. Um, Moving on to Rutgers and Maryland, you really can't set the schedule up much better in the Big Ten East. Unfortunately for Penn State, they're sort of behind the eight ball with uh, with Michigan and Ohio State being what they are, going to play for the Big Ten East title next week. Um, but uh, beyond that, yeah, I mean, you've, you've got a chance to solidify yourself back as a power running team. Um, I, I think we see a lot of Miles Sanders this week. I think we see a lot of the young guys as well. James Franklin talked on Friday a little bit about, or excuse me, on Wednesday, a little about the opportunities that the younger guys are going to have. You're talking Jahan Dotson's going to start in the Z. Justin Shorter, who I've been my predictions catching his first career touchdown pass. Um, Jason Awe is probably going to play some. Trent Gordon's going to play some. You might see some Rasheed Walker. So a lot of those young guys sprinkled in, and and you hate to, you know, in, in this situation where we're recording a podcast before a game with a really bad team, you know, you hate to take the opponent for granted, but they're going to prepare as if they're going to blow these guys out and 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 see some of those younger guys later in the game. I think you see some of Tommy Stevens, you know, when the game is still in doubt, whether it's the first, second quarter. And then beyond that, you're, I think you're going to see some Sean Clifford on Saturday. So really interested to see how those guys handle it. But I think the pressure and I guess the microscope, maybe not the pressure, but the microscope is going to be on this offensive line. Flip things up a, a week ago, put Will Fries on the left. You, put, you got him beside Steven Gonzalez. You put Ryan Bates on the right beside Connor McGovern. 
started to see some good things. Will Fries, I don't think, has played well this year, and I don't think that's any secret. Bates has played pretty well, um, regardless of where you put him. You know, I, I think right now, I think that's the combination that you roll with. Chaz Wright, of course, is in there, but but this is a game where you have to dominate with your first offensive line. I, I don't think that's any secret whatsoever. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see how they handle the aggressor standpoint. You look back at the last couple of weeks, of course, Wisconsin's always Wisconsin. Iowa, tough football team. They got you know beat pretty bad at Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State. You you get through that meat grinder of the schedule, and now all of a sudden you've got to turn it on against inferior competition. So going to see how those guys uh, those guys fare. The receivers, um, Tyler and I have talked countless hours about the receivers it seems like over the last couple of months Um, really interested to see what they can do gonna see Penn State try and get the ball to KJ Hamler early and often I think that worked to open up everyone else last week and I think that's gonna open up Miles Sanders a little bit more defensively the front four kind of handled things last week Um, excited to see what they can do what's interesting about Rutgers I think I looked at the stats they've only given up 12 or 15 I'm I'm sort of going off of memory here 12 or 15 sacks last uh, excuse me this season to date Uh, Art Sikowski has thrown 16 interceptions to date so he's getting rid of the ball not always going to the right team but he's getting rid of the ball before that uh, that defense can come at him so I'm not sure that we're going to see this six seven sack game that that some people may be expecting of course Sharif Miller playing really well right now Yitor Gross Matos playing really well right now we know Shaka Tony can do it really want to see what Shane Simmons can bring to the table and of course those young defensive tackles Thought Antonio Shelton played really well last week. Thought P.J. Mustafer played his best game. So really interested to see what those guys can do. Beyond that, um, you know, the the secondary has to be ready for for balls coming their way. Rutgers is going to have to throw a lot, and, and that's I think that's going to uh, result in turnovers. Beyond that, special teams, uh, Blake Gillikin has to be better. But at the same time, you know, you, you, I think you're more comfortable with where the special teams are right now than you were three or four weeks ago. So, that's my own little uh, look at the game so far. Like I said, not going to spend a ton of time on it. Rutgers, very bad. Uh, would, first off, would not be shocked if they started out fairly quickly, but Penn State will settle, and I think they'll roll on Saturday. We're going to talk a lot of recruiting on this episode. Uh, I think that's what pe- most people have tuned in for, and I think that's what people have centered on after talking about it on the podcast earlier this week. Going to bring in Brian Doan to talk a lot about it. Um, it he's done a phenomenal job for us on 24/7 Sports since uh since we bought Scout and he's been you know just tremendous. Don, thanks for joining us again. Always a pleasure when you are on cuz you've always seemed to bring the good news for us. <laughs> well, if it's a pleasure to have me on, you guys are in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Don, plenty to talk about. Penn State uh recruiting is one thing, uh, not a ton of uh, I guess you would call it momentum right now, but it's a slow time of year altogether. You did a thing on the site on Friday, top 10 uh, uncommitted prospects in your region. Of course, you're in the Northeast. You're based out of Jersey. You're actually our, our Rutgers representative today with Tyler being out of commission. Uh, so I'm sure you're honored to be that as well. But uh, what's going on in the East right now? I know Penn State always intertwined with the, with all the top kids that you cover. Yeah, it's really interesting because I know everybody starts getting antsy about this time of year. What are we going to get? We need commitments. We have no momentum. Where's our juice coming from? The loss to Ohio State hurt, blah, blah, blah. Look, none of these kids were deciding anytime soon anyway. They were all taking visits after the season. And when you look at it, you know, I, I keep thinking back and listening to James Franklin talk about the need to get better at the line of scrimmage. Um, and when you look at what's left on the board for Penn State, primarily in the East, there's a lot of guys on both sides of the ball and guys that 
you know, are pretty good <laughs> darn athletes on, on top of it. You know, whether it's Adisa Isaac, the defensive end out of Canarsie, or Jared Harrison Hunt, the D-tackle out of uh, Queens. You know, you look at them, and you're like, geez. And then Smith Vilbert, the six 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 seven kid out of St. Joe's Montvale, which is Robert Martin's old school for um, – those familiar with him from a few years back with Penn State. And and so to me, it's interesting from that standpoint. And yeah, everybody wants to know about Zach Harrison, but um, I, I think when you read the stuff on him, you're, you're looking more to him staying Midwest right now. But, you know, and, and then Ja'Kai Moore on the offensive line, and you just, you know, Tristan Miller out of North Carolina, who Michael Clark stops by to see on Thursday. And I talked to Michael Clark. I'm sure people remember him from covering the Carolinas. Um, and I talked to him, and he told me that right now Miller was pretty much set with NC State, but he didn't rule out a visit to Penn State, which I thought was interesting. But, you know, it's the line of scrimmage, but it's guys who are not ready to decide yet. And you just have to be patient. And, you know, I should mention Devon Ellis, too, has a big visit to Ohio State on the 24th, the D-tackle. Um, I, I look at it, and they're just not ready to decide yet. So it doesn't matter what Penn State does this week, next week. Getting them on campus for that big weekend on December 7th for some of these kids is going to be absolutely huge because not only will we have a lot of commits, you will have a lot of the Penn State coaches talking about, hey, come join us, you're the missing piece. So I, I think, you know, for you guys, uh, you know, December 7th, Sean, you know it. I'm, I know you'll be around. You don't take off when things are going on. So that's the weekend to be around with official visits and recruiting. I like that. I like that uh, inside joke there. I did uh, I did go to England for a wedding for a junior day, and Doan hasn't let me hear the last of it for the last, uh, well, that was February. <laughs> here so. I was going to keep it quiet. Yeah, yeah, I get you. We're going to talk about the defensive line first. You mentioned a couple of guys already. Um, this is a, a, a topic that's come up several times with, with our fans. It's, it's so hard to find those guys. You and I talk about that all the time. You see a guy like Devon Ellis, and of course we, we bumped him up in the 24-7 sports rankings, pretty high in fact, but you see guys like Devon Ellis, you see Jared Harrison Hunt, far from finished products, but a lot of people want these guys. It's so hard to find these guys. Defensive tackle recruiting has sort of taken on its own sort of uh, different lore when you're talking about Penn State, but at the same time, everybody wants these guys. If you're 6'2", 6'3", 300 pounds, and you can move, I mean, these, uh, these are high-priority guys for a lot of schools. Yeah, and, and you can't find them anywhere, which is why some guys have bigger offer lists than, you're, than when you look at the ability. And I'm not talking about these guys in particular, but, you know, Jared Harrison Hunt, he had a big offer list without playing much defense and not having much film because he moves so well, he's athletic, good size, you know, he can sink his hips and play low. Um, and, and so you look at it, and... There's so few, and so everybody's pushing for these guys. And then compounding it right now is people are going to, you know, there's going to be a big push to get some kids to sign on December 19th, I think it is this year. And if you don't sign, it's really going to open up a lot of other schools come January. And you look at, people remember Javante Jean-Baptiste last year, who was a Bergen Catholic, who was, Geez, it looked like he was signing with Virginia Tech the early period. A couple days before, he was all set to sign, decided to wait. And when it comes down to it, he winds up signing with Ohio State because, first of all, finding guys on a defensive line to begin with is very difficult, which is why all of a sudden schools are all over Smith-Vilbert out of North Jersey. You know, not just Penn State, but Nebraska, Florida, um, you know, you look at somebody like him and also Oregon, I should mention, but it's, you just can't find them. And so 
if you're Penn State, you want to get these interior guys wrapped up in December because if it goes to January, you could see a whole slew of schools all of a sudden come after them again. It, it just changes everything with the new early signing period. It, it gives schools a, a few weeks to regroup and say, okay, we're going to look at these targets here instead. And so for me, it's just uh, it's really intriguing and for Penn State, get those guys wrapped up early, especially on the interior. Smith Vilbert was an offer that went out a couple of weeks ago for Penn State. It's a guy that you had tracked very early this season. And you, you, you really don't, when you're talking about the level uh, that Penn State has been recruiting, you don't see a ton of these senior risers coming up. Smith Vilbert was a guy that you identified early, and then all of a sudden a lot of people sort of caught on to. Number one, how does a kid go under the radar like that? I know you know his backstory, and I know not a lot of our listeners know you know where he comes from or why he's on the radar. And number two, how does that change his recruitment? Because he's all of a sudden, you know, probably going to sign in February, but he's going to take these official visits, and he's completely new. A guy like Harrison Hunt at least has, um, you know, those unofficials in his back pocket from the spring and the summer and things like that. Guarantee, or granted, he's he's raw and new to the recruit, recruiting scene as well. But at the same time, Smith Vilbert trying to pack it all in at one time. How does that impact his recruitment? So first off. Where did this kid come from? Why is he so coveted? And number two, you know, how's that going to impact the stretch run for him? Yeah, a, a couple of things, and I'll jump all over the place on him. But we'll we'll start with the fact it's even worse because his team plays this weekend. If they win, they're going to wind up playing the following weekend, so it really limits his ability to make official visits during the season. His school played a lot of Saturday games, so where did he come from? He's six 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 seven. Well, lo and behold, he's just a lot like Jason Awe. He was a former basketball player who. It wasn't really going the way he wanted to with offers on the basketball court. So he decided in the spring, all right, I'm going to be a full-time football player. And he was so concentrated on basketball that last season he left the football team late in the year because basketball started. And look, when you're six, 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 seven, and, and you're playing for a good program and that's what you think your future is, that's what you do. Because if you miss that time, you don't get it back and it's harder to break into the lineup and all that other stuff. So he went and, and, you know, I saw him at a Rutgers camp where they worked him out and, and offered him really without him having much film. And his coach is really well connected. Augie Hoffman played at BC. He's been up at St. Joe's Montbell for a long time, had a cup of coffee in the NFL. So he's got contacts all over the place. Well, he knows Mario Cristobal from when Mario was down in South Florida recruiting North Jersey. So all of a sudden Oregon offers him, but schools wanted to see him and see what he could develop into just in terms of during the season, he didn't have much film. Went to see him play, and, and it's crazy. Um, I went to see him play, I think, the weekend before Penn State went to see him play. And he looked good. He moved well. Change of direction was really good. Uh, the finer points, you know, as far as just understanding how to use his hands, how to understand leverage, how to dip his shoulder. You could see the athleticism was there, but he just doesn't know how to do it yet because, you know, he's been playing football full-time for about six months. And so that's how somebody like him all of a sudden develops late in the process. Now he's at a school that everybody knows. Um, they produce kids all the time. So the coach keeps telling them about it. So they know to check the film, but the way recruiting works is once training camp starts, you almost shut down a lot of your evaluations and you don't pick up your evaluations again as a college program until late September, early October, then you go through your list because you find out what you need more of, 
how you're doing with kids still on your board, are your commit staying true to you? And then after you identify, okay, these are the kids we're going to focus on. Well, a kid like Smith Vilbert, who, you know, you want to make sure he's legit size. You want to see him in person. So they send D-line coach Sean Spencer out to see him. He gets to eyeball him and see him. But then when you get back to campus from having gone to 25 schools during the bye week or 30 schools during the bye week, you're going through everybody again. And it, now you're getting ready for your next game. So it's just a really slow process inside of a season. That's a really long-winded way to say it's his real first year of playing football, but that's how the process works. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's kind of a far cry from someone like Devon Ellies, who Penn State just hosted for an official visit. Ellies, of course, uh, former teammate of P.J. Mustafer, teammate of 2020 target Curtis jo- Jacobs. He's been on campus several times. So you're sort of flipping that around. So Ellies has been to a bunch of places. You know, finally got back for, I guess, a more extensive visit. He's been to Penn State. He came up for the whiteout, of course, missed most of that game because he had a game that Saturday. Um, so it, comparing it to somebody like Devon, uh, Devon Ellis, sort of night and day when you talk about the, the expectations. So Ellis is going to go through, make this visit to Ohio State, and then I assume he's going to you know make a decision in December. And I think that that's probably – from a Penn State standpoint, where you're looking at the most action coming. That December 7th weekend, you've got Smith Vilbert coming in. You've got Ja'Kai Moore coming in. Uh, Cornelius Johnson, a receiver out of Connecticut, who you reported a couple of weeks ago, was coming in. So you're looking to that December 7th weekend as, as potentially the, the not the breaking point, but the, the next windfall for where Penn State's going to be when they go to the 19th. And how do you, how do you see them sort of going from this direction uh, or, or, or finishing you know, before that signing period, before sort of all hell breaks loose for the, the, the January-February stretch? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I think you hit it on the head with Ellie's. The one thing I'm curious about him is, yeah, he visits Ohio State on the 24th. Does he go back down to Florida for an official visit? Um, you mentioned that he came to the whiteout game, and he got there late because he had a game. I give him a ton of credit, but he didn't get much time with the coaches, you know, which isn't a big deal. He just wanted to see the atmosphere. Well, the next weekend, him and Curtis Jacobs went down to Florida to watch a game, and because of the timing, he didn't get a lot of time with the coaches, but he still talks to them a lot. So I'm curious if he gets involved with them. I'm curious if he continues with his desire to visit West Virginia. Because, again, if you're visiting the 24th, it gives you three more weekends to make visits. West Virginia's having a big weekend on the 7th with a lot of their commits and a lot of their high-level targets. Um, but, you know, so, so you're looking, you're trying to figure out, when he'll decide, I think he'll sign early. I don't think he's a kid that absolutely loves the process. He loves going on some visits, but uh, he's not exactly a kid who, who wants to be out there front and center with a lot of them. I don't know. You know, USC tried to get involved with him. Who knows what happens with the coaching staff out there. So there's a lot of variables with him, and he, he still has some visits he could make. But you got to get him. He has to leave, you know, the Ohio State visit and say, okay, what are my real options? What do I want to do? And then make decisions on other visits. I look at a kid like Adisa Isaac. Well, they're still in the playoffs at Canarsie High. And how far will they go? And and his ability to make visits, you know, whether he wants to go to Miami or if he's going to go down to LSU or if he's going to make that Tennessee visit. You know, for me, I, I look at all things like that. And how does that change his recruitment if they continue on in the playoffs? Does he have enough time? Um, New York City kids are always a little different when it comes to recruiting. They're always a little more quiet, and they a lot of times they schedule these visits out of nowhere. I mean, shoot, we reported the Adisa Isaac official to Penn State for the whiteout game. When I went to his school, 
And his coach is like, yeah, he doesn't really have anything set up. And then I talked to Adis, and he's like, yeah, I'm visiting Penn State officially for Ohio State. So things kind of come out of nowhere with that stuff. Um, so, so I'm curious. And then Harrison Hunt is a kid that, you know, he wants to make a Michigan State official visit in January. But here's the other part of that. You know, his coach, his offensive coordinator, Bruce Eugene, who's, who's pretty well-versed in recruiting, knows that a lot of coaches or some coaches could be changing whether it's in early December or they wait till after the first signing day and then staff shuffle around to see what's available for him in January. Maybe somebody else becomes involved. Um, but I think if you're Penn State, you push. You want to get Ellie signed early. You want to get um, Adisa Isaac signed early. And maybe you can convince Harrison Hunt after he makes some visits to sign early. And, folks, before you go crazy, no, I am not saying they're all silent commits. I'm just saying if they're going to sign and Penn State wants to push, that's what makes sense to do. Hey, that's what I heard. I, I heard Brian Doan say they were all <laughs> silent commits and they're going to sign on the 19th, so uh, we'll go with that. You mentioned an interesting point, and it's amazing how we run through sort of the same storylines every year. There's just different players, different coaches, and different coaching changes. There's already been a couple of, of chips that have fallen. Louisville, I think, is the big one when you're talking about Penn State, because obviously that that you know that you're talking about Zach Williamson, uh, a kid that visited for for the Iowa game that's committed to Louisville from West Virginia. But at the same time, you're talking about Jeff Brom, the coach at Purdue, who Louisville's obviously going to make their number one target. And you've got David Bell looking heavily at Purdue. So. Coaching changes this time of year. I mean, is there any jobs that, that you have your eye on that could have sort of a ripple effect, especially in your region? I'm, I'm not talking about USC or, or yeah. anything down, you know, anywhere yeah. out of here. But I, I, I mean, yeah, you, you look at it, and the first one that jumps out to you is what if Maryland hires Mike Loxley? You know, I know a lot of people are thinking that's going to happen. I've talked to a few people close to the situation that think that that's going to happen, but I, I'm not a big thinks it's going to happen guy you either have it or you don't right so if he if he's going to maryland what does that mean all of a sudden for devon ellies loxley has a great reputation in the dmv what does it mean does does maryland all of a sudden come you know does he say look you got to come here it's changed um we've changed the culture now that's the same school as jordan mcnair so there's that element too but you know mike loxley is considered one of the great recruiters in the northeast and his reputation down there is absolutely tremendous. That's the first one I look at and how it changes things. And then you talk about Zach Williamson, who's at uh, you know Spring Valley in Huntington, West Virginia, the offensive lineman. Yeah, he likes Louisville a lot. It's close to home. The um, I know one of the guys behind the scenes and the operation standpoint is from the Huntington area and has great relationships, and that fed into his decision as well. But, you know... Jeff Brom's a pretty good recruiter. So if Louisville goes out and gets him, then all of a sudden maybe Williamson is staying with West Virginia, no questions asked. It's stuff like that, but it's also on the assistant coach level. Um, you know, does a guy like Greg Schiano stay at Ohio State as defensive coordinator? Does he have the ability to go somewhere else and get a head coaching job? And he's got great relationships with a kid like Smith Vilbert. And he's got a great relationship with the coaching staff at Christ the King for Jared Harrison Hunt. Those are all the things you're looking at. But then you look at Ohio State and you say, well, wait a minute. 
what if they're in the playoff? There's no way they're going to start making changes that late in the game, um, you know, and, and allow somebody to be a head coach and start working like that. It just it changes so many different things, and that's the problem with this early signing period is it forces these schools to make these changes earlier than maybe anticipated in some regard, and it does not give that new head coach time to put together a staff and be able to recruit a lot of kids to that school. It just, it, it, you know, it may, if you're one of the elite schools, if you're Penn State or Clemson or Ohio State or USC, you have that instant name recognition. But if you're one of the, you know, the middle tier schools or something like that, you know, what if you're North Carolina and you make a change? Yeah, I don't know a, how much time they have to get everything going there. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. It's and it's on the school. It's on the the new coach. Um, it's on the you know if he's putting together if it's if it's a new head coach that's you know not one of these recycled guys that we see go round and round. He's got to put his staff together. He's going to p- try and pillage another staff, and then all of a sudden we'll just say Zach Williamson for example. You know he's got a couple weeks to make a decision. If you're a January enrollee you pretty much have to sign in December or else it's going to cost you an entire semester. So there's a lot to go on there. I think we're still in that trial and error period where you don't see that. I'm going to get back to Loxley for a second because that's very intriguing. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people right away jump to Loxley, but you look at from a recruiting standpoint, 2020, that area, if there's a, you know, if there's a guy that can shake things up and, and, you know, you're talking Brian Bressy, you're talking the kids at St. John's, you're talking all that talent down there. If there's a guy that can shake it up, it's Mike Loxley. So that's really something to take into account. And I'm not sure that that's something that they should take into account at Maryland. There's a, there's a lot of things. Of course, there's a lot of things they should have taken into account a couple of weeks ago, but they just ignored that. So, but if you bring in Mike Loxley, that shakes up Penn State, that shakes up Alabama, that shakes up a lot of big time players in Maryland all of a sudden, you know, it's just in a different spot. Well, you look at it, and, and how does it? You know, people want to know how it relates to Penn State, so we can we can make that link. And I'm actually really excited. I'm going down to watch Dematha play Gonzaga on Sunday night, um, which is going to be a great game with about 20 D1 kids on it. But you know, you take the 2020s at St. John's. Mikhail Sherman's going to you know the Ohio State Michigan game. Well, right now, Sherman, you know, you're looking at Alabama, Ohio State, Penn State's involved there. You know, Rakeem Jarrett, it was Alabama, it was, you know, Penn State, Ohio State, Florida State, there's some, you know, some of that. Well, if Loxley comes in all of a sudden, and he was the one that, you know, really got a lot of guys in the flow when Randy Etzel was there, and a lot of the talent at Maryland is attributed to Mike Loxley and, and, you know, also coaches are Abdul Rahim down there does a good job. and Chris Beatty on staff does a great job. And I could see both of them being retained by the new coach just because of how well respected they are and how good they are at recruiters and, you know, recruiting and coaching. But all of a sudden you bring Loxley into the mix and it changes a bunch of things in terms of how effective can Penn State be recruiting down there? How much, I mean, right now, it's almost like going, you know, when you go into the DMV, it's a lot like going into New Jersey. The elite schools just pick who they want. Yeah, absolutely. That could change. Absolutely. And um, you, you, we talk, we've talked off air about a kid like Brian Bressy, who is really, you know, sort of a homebody type guy. I'm not saying he won't go to Georgia or he won't go to Ohio State or Alabama or whatnot, but you've made the comment before that, hey, 
if they have a winning team at Maryland, he's actually going to check them out. So I, I, I don't think he's alone in that boat. One of the crazy things, and I think you were at the Nike event a few years back, um, and it was before you know twenty four seven brought scout, you know, bought scout and everything. But I remember sitting there at the end zone at Centerville High School where they had the event, and there were like twenty legit kids there from the DMV. And it was, you know, DeMarco Hellams and, you know, whoever you want, you know, um, pick whoever you want out of the list. Nick Cross was there. All, all these guys were were down there. Um, Isaiah Hazel, who's committed to West Virginia, was part of the group. And they were all talking about Maryland, 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 and what would happen if it, if it stayed. And, you know, they were, oh, man, if Locks was still there and all that stuff. You know, it was it was really interesting to listen to then be aware of it and they were looking for I felt like they were looking for a reason to go to Maryland and obviously it didn't pan out and they all went to separate ways but there's a kind of vibe down there that I think Loxley can bring everybody together um, it, it will make it interesting and it will make it a lot more difficult for schools to get kids now I'm not saying Alabama won't come in and get who they want and Penn State won't come in and get who they want but it'll be a lot harder than it is now yeah, especially if you're looking at a place like St. Francis that Alabama's had a ton of uh, a ton of success with recently, and a lot of it's because of Mike Loxley. If you can keep everyone home, that's a great place to do it. It's also a great place to do it in New Jersey. Of course, Rutgers can't do that. I mean, it's been it's been crazy. You listen. I'll just say this, and people don't know this: a professor at Rutgers wrote an editorial in the student paper this week about how bad the president is and doesn't care about athletics and athletics is doomed because of the president. I don't think any other school in the country has stuff go on like that where you have faculty openly ripping the president or athletics or how much is spent on athletics in the student paper. I mean, it's unbelievable. That's amazing. Before I let you go, <laughs> um, I know you're expecting not really a close game or anything, but anything to, to look for on Saturday when Penn State uh, goes to Piscataway. Yeah, I mean, does Penn State want to play? I mean, do they take it seriously? Because if they take it seriously, they'll be able to run the ball. They'll blitz like crazy, and Rutgers' offensive line will have trouble picking it up. Can their corners, you know, and their nickel guys jam at the line of scrimmage because Rutgers has trouble getting open and, and getting separation at the line of scrimmage? And, you know, can Penn State run the ball down Rutgers' throat and then use play action because their linebacker play has been really weak and, you know, if the linebacks are going to the wrong gaps, which they do a good job of doing that a lot, um, you know, what does that mean for one-on-one -on, -one on the edges with the corners? Because Rutgers loves to play one-on-one -on, -one on the edge and leave their corners alone out there. So, if, you know, if it's McSorley playing or whomever, can they get the ball down the field and take advantage of that? Is it, is it fair to put this all on Chris, Chris Ash, and is it time for him, do you think? I don't think it's fair. I, look, when you're this bad, it's fair to put it on everybody, first of all. Okay, that, that goes without saying. But, you know, I remember talking to a coach there a while back, and he told me, and this was in basketball, and he said, look, this place hasn't been good in basketball in 40 years since they went to the Final Four. At what point do you stop looking at the coach and you start looking at the infrastructure of the school? And, you know, you're talking about they have a president – who, when Mike Rice was throwing basketballs and cursing at players, didn't act on anything until a DVD came out. And he said that, well, I never even put the DVD on my laptop to look at it when he got it three months pr 
prior. And, I mean, the Julie Herman fiasco there and Kyle Flood trying to get a kid's grade changed. I mean, no bones about it, trying to get a kid's grade changed. And they suspended him only for game days which one of them was against Penn State. So he went out to Penn State for pregame and then left when the team went to the stadium. So when you have an administration that allows that to go on, well, of course this is what you get. I mean, everybody talks about the scandal that took place at, at Penn State or what took place at Ohio State or, or wherever, you know, where they've had some tough times. But when it came down to, okay, let's right the ship and get everything going, they all had an administration that moved in the right direction. So you can change coaches if you want at Rutgers for football. They're still going to underpay the next guy. They're not going to pay the assistants enough money. And when it comes time to bring recruits on campus, it's going to be 50-50 on whether academic people go meet with the recruit or not. So you can change coaches all you want, but you better change something much higher up if you're going to have any success there. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. But uh, don't, uh, I told you 15 minutes, we've gone 26, but I appreciate all the insight. It's a lot of good stuff. I'm, I'm sure people will be happy to hear it. Thank you for joining us once again. You can catch his work on our site at Lions 24-7 and across the 24-7 Sports Network. Brian Doan, our guy, thanks for joining us once again. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.